Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of the Providence Journal College Basketball Podcast. This is Bill Koch, sports writer for the Journal. From my Warwick home on a Tuesday night, I'm joined by my usual two co-conspirators. First, the sports director at ABC6, the weekend co-host of Cordishian Coit on WEI Providence. Nick Coit, ladies and gentlemen. Coity, how we living? Doing good, bud. Can't believe it's almost April. We're almost through March. Uh, but boy, it has been a wild, wild March for sure. Also joined by our other co-conspirator, the sports director at WPRI 12 and Fox Providence, Maury Hirsch-Gordon. Maury, how are we doing, babe? I feel like we've been trying to get this pod on the books for a little while, and there's just news after news after news. Uh, so a lot to get to tonight, I feel like. To, to borrow a line from Junior Soprano, the man said, may you live in interesting times. And uh, we certainly have. Over the last three weeks, they've gone by in dog years here, essentially. It's been... Uh, you know, breaking item after breaking item after breaking item. Uh, you know, we will start, obviously, with the Friars, who who are responsible for the majority of this. Uh, we will go back to last week. Providence lost in the NCAA tournament to Kentucky. It turned out to be the final game of Ed Cooley's 12-year tenure with the Friars. He has left for Georgetown uh, to great consternation on one side and great fanfare. On the other side, uh, and guys, certainly we can have a wide-ranging conversation on Ed Cooley, his legacy here, the process of him leaving to Georgetown, what that means for the Friars going forward. A lot of angles we could take here, uh, but what I will say is that in terms of Rhode Island sports, we'll have a hard time topping this story for the rest of 2023. This is... uh, in terms of locals and, and in terms of what we cover, it's about as big as it gets. So it's funny. Um, I think I had seen online somewhere uh, there was a campaign or I, I can't remember who did it, but it was it was like a bracket for March. And it was like biggest names or like celebrity names or biggest things in Rhode Island. And in that bracket was early March. And in that bracket was Ed Cool. You know, it was like the big blue bug. And, you know, like awful offals and things like that. And Ed Cooley was in that bracket. It was like 32 things because his name and the way that he had elevated the program had become so big that he was a local celebrity. We said it all the time, right? Like if he ran for mayor tomorrow before everything happened here, he would probably win the race. Right. Uh, And then. All this happens. Uh, it's it is um, it is wild. It is wild to think. I just a month ago y- you wouldn't have pictured this, uh, and then here we are, and he's the coach of the Georgetown Hoyas. It actually happened. We had talked about the far off possibility before in this podcast, but we just never thought it would happen because we never thought that he would leave home. 
We never thought he would leave his home state. And I think, you know, part of, you know, such the, the, the tense feelings about the whole thing is that one, I don't think anybody ever thought it would happen. And two, I think for the fans sake, I, I, I think uh, there's an obvious feeling of betrayal from the fans. That is obvious. We know that from the last month. But I think that the fan base thought that it had after 12 years and as the success continued to go up here, getting to a Sweet 16 last year, I think the fans thought they had their quote unquote lifer coach, like the guy that was going to stick with the program and build it until his his coaching career was over. And that's not the case. And then the way it went down, as we'll discuss here, was just so wild and just not how you would picture the end of his tenure that it made for a very tense, you know, week, couple of weeks um, and made for a situation like we've never really seen before here. So it's just just wild to think about the ride we've been on. Yeah. And you can't fault the fans for feeling that way um, based on a few factors, but none other than that he signed how many new contracts and how many new extensions over the last you know, half dozen years, uh, especially the, the most recent one in, in last year, right after the Sweet 16. You started to see those blue chip guys come in. The Sweet 16 success led to guys like Bryce Hopkins, led to guys like Devin Carter. Um, we'll get into the final four later, but there are no one, two or three seeds in the final four. You can go to a final four at a place like Providence now in today's basketball landscape. There is no doubt. You need a guy like Ed Cooley. You need a guy who can sell your program. You need some money behind you. You need some donors. You need an atmosphere and a building that the Amici Mutual Pavilion is. But the fans have the right to be to be upset. Um, Ed Cooley pulled the rug out from underneath this program, um, whether you love him or whether you hate him. And there's no two ways of, around that. Yeah, so let's just review. In, in Ed's 12 season, seven NCAA tournament appearances, would have been eight if not for the COVID, the COVID shortened season in 2019-20. He won the program's second Big East tournament title in 2014. He won the first regular season title uh, last year in 2021-22. In uh, he is the second winningest coach all time in program history. He has the most Big East wins in program history. He's only the second coach to finish above 500 in the Big East career. The only other is Rick Patino, and he went 17 and 15. Was only here for two years. Uh, so when you get an idea of Ed Cooley's place at Providence on paper, uh, it was a lofty perch, a, a place where he was going to have statues and, and buildings named after him. And, you know, it was going to be a legacy coach, obviously a trailblazing coach at Providence, the first black coach uh, of the men's basketball program. Uh, significant milestone when Bob Driscoll hired him away from Fairfield and brought him back to his hometown. Um, you know, what he represented to the community at large, uh, you know, to folks in Providence and, and around that program, I think Coit hit on it. He was this sense of possibility that you could come from the city and make something of yourself, that you could have such a prominent position in the state. And because of the way Providence invested in him, and because of the way that he turned down Michigan and signed those multiple extensions, it created what turned out to be a false sense of security that he was going to be here forever. Uh, and ultimately, that was not the case. And, you know, it just 
it played out almost in slow motion. It, it was like a, a car accident you just couldn't turn away from. When it starts in January that you get some reports out of Georgetown that they are going to buy out Patrick Ewing. It is finally going to be over for him uh, that the boosters had come up with the eight figures necessary to terminate his contract. Ed Cooley is the ideal candidate to go to Georgetown, but would he ever do it? Uh, I don't think that there were many people who actually thought he would follow through with it. But the way it played out, he was given multiple chances to shut down rumors about him going to Georgetown. He declined to do so. You got the sense that his family was driving this a little bit, his wife and, and certainly his daughter, who is a senior there and who plans on staying in the area after she graduates from the school. And I think by the time we got to that Friday night, after they lost to Kentucky 61-53 in Greensboro, I, I don't know about you guys, but the feeling I had standing out in that hallway talking to Ed Cooley and then to Steve Napolillo was that he was going to go. Um, and ultimately, when the decision came out early the next week, uh, I expected it. But on the whole, it didn't make it any less shocking in totality that he was leaving the Friars and becoming the first coach in the Big East to go directly to a conference rival. It's still, when you say it out loud, it is still shocking to verbalize. No, it's it's totally true, Bill. Totally true. It, it took a while. Even even that Saturday morning, I went on the air with my, my co-conspirator on WEEI, Scott Cordishi, and we're talking about it. You know, this is fresh off the loss to Kentucky Friday night and hearing comments in the hallway and whatnot. And we're talking about the possibility of, you know, him going and what Providence might do and all that. And it still hadn't sunk in until the news actually came out on Monday that he was resigning and he was going to take the job at Georgetown. It just, it was, it was wild, the, the whole thing. And then we go on the ride of listing the house and, you know, the fact that the, that the team sputtered down the stretch and that's the other thing here, too, guys. Like, you know, I think talking to the players on Friday night in the locker room, I don't think, you know, I think it's easy to look at the slide down the stretch and say, well, it coincided with the rumors heating up and it was a huge distraction and the players, you know, it it, it affected the players. It, I, I don't see I, I, I think it was the way I put it on the radio this past Saturday was I think it was a distraction without being a distraction, if that makes any sense. Like, because we went to practice, they're still putting in the same amount of work. They're still, you know, locked in on playing Kentucky and playing these games and whatnot. But as the rumors became more and more prevalent, it was like a cloud that was just like kind of following them around, you know? And, and, and I think the players themselves were just as shocked as us when the decision ultimately came down, judging by their social media reactions that Monday when the news came out and whatnot. And they still believe talking to them in the locker room in Greensboro that who's going to be the co-chair next year. And that I think until it actually happened for everybody involved, it, it, it was no, no less shocking when it actually did take place. Yeah. I mean, it's still shocking and we're, we're days removed from it now. Um, we're, we're a little bit over a week now from, from the news coming down, whether it's just seeing him in the Georgetown G on social media, recruit the players that were supposed to be at Providence, 
um, that were supposed to help elevate the program, continue to elevate the program from a second weekend program to a potential third weekend team. It, it's it's going to take a lot of getting used to now for him to be at Georgetown. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I've got, I've got some thoughts and some, some observations for sure as we get into the timeline a little bit deeper, but um, I, I just, yeah, I just wake up finding myself just like shaking my head as if like I went to the school. I, it's like, I have this, un, like, I'm not from the area. I didn't follow Providence college basketball tooth and nail until six years ago. And I am, I am stunned. And like for a guy like Bill, who, who's been here his whole life and who has decades and decades of knowledge and experience around the program, the college basketball scene coolly from the time he was in high school. I mean, and, I, and I've been here. It's like it's it's unbelievable. It's it's it, it is literally shocking. Um, he was the Bill Belichick of Rhode Island. He was the biggest, greatest figure in the state, bigger than Dan McKee, bigger than any politician. He was the number one person in the state. And he's gone. I think the most jarring thing, Maury, and I think you hit on it, is he did so much right all the way up until about the last six weeks when he did everything wrong. Literally everything. Right. And this is a whole, this is a whole new conversation now. Uh, I, I mean, you go back to you know someone who goes to Central High School and gets out and goes to Stonehill and is an assistant at URI and Boston College and is wildly successful with Al Skinner and goes to Fairfield and builds his own program and gets himself on Providence's radar and comes in and inherits a mess from Keno Davis. And by the third year, he's in the tournament. And by the fifth year, he's got a lottery pick with Chris Dunn. And he's got a couple of the greatest players in program history and Bryce Cotton and LaDante Henton. He helps them develop. Yeah, And then he shifts into David Duke and A.J. Reeves and you know, the guys who, who fueled the most recent NCAA teams, and he pivots to Jared uh, Jared Bynum and Justin Manaya and Al Durham, and he finds a different way to do it in the transfer portal and gets himself to the Sweet 16. And you're thinking he's not perfect. Nobody is perfect. But in terms of that job and the way he fit there, it was just right. It was hand in glove. And all of a sudden... You're sitting there at 17 and five this season, nine and two in the Big East, and it goes rancid down the stretch. He loses seven of his last 11 games. There's whispers that he might go to Georgetown. The players, I would say, handled it more professionally than the coaching staff did. They seemed to block it out Amen. a little better than the coaching staff did. Amen. Um, yep. You know, I'll say this for Ed Cooley he didn't lie to us when we asked. He didn't say, no, I'm not considering another job. You know, no, I'm not going to listen to Georgetown. I'm committed here. I'll give him credit for that. He was fairly truthful with, with us. Um, but just in the process of allowing that to play out during the season and, and not having it as buttoned up as, say, someone like Dan Hurley did when he left URI and just left the dealing with UConn and Pittsburgh to his agent did not want to be bothered with that in season to the point where it didn't leak out that he was going to entertain an offer from Pittsburgh or UConn or, you know, wasn't going to be pursued by them or whatever else. That was all after you or I was eliminated from the NCAA tournament. The fact that this was allowed to encroach upon the end of Providence's season, I, I thought was 
a major string of errors by by Ed Cooley and his representatives, and it also just showed how naked the ambition from Georgetown was. The the fact that they are so bankrupt at this point that they are so far from what they were in the 80s and even in the 90s and even in the 2000s when they made a Final Four in 2007. They had fallen so far from that prominent, proud program that John Thompson built that they acted out of desperation. They went for the perfect fit within their conference. They violated just about every standard of collegiality or you know, one for all or all for one that the Catholic Seven and the New Big East stood for. And they went and got their man. They proved that it was show business, not show friends. Um, but just the the collaboration between the two sides, you know, Ed Cooley's actions in this, professional or otherwise, Georgetown's actions in this, professional or otherwise, it, it was just so disjointed, so out of character. It felt like for both parties, it it should have been handled so much better than it was. I don't know how it all leaked out, um, all the rumors and whatnot, but whoever leaked it out really, I mean, it, it did a disservice to both sides um, because, you know, the fact that I just, I think back and I know it's very different, um, you know, the, the Hurley search, you know, when that was happening, I know it's very different. Um but I just think back, there were rumors about, you know, potential jobs and whatnot, but it just never, it never lingered like this. And like you said, Bill, it didn't encroach on the end of a season, the end of a run like that. And this, I mean, it just, when it leaked out, I mean, we're hearing at the, you know, the Big East tournament, you know, from John Fantas got a report that, you know, Georgetown already has their man in the bag. They know who they're getting. And that's at the Big East tournament. And then that weekend, it, it just like report after report, it just it just it was like another log on the fire. And it was just that was the messy part of it is that by the time we got to the Kentucky game on Friday, how much what was the percentage we were talking about, like the Kentucky game and the percentage we were talking about Ed Cooley's future? We should have been talking about an NCAA tournament game for this program. And instead, there's just this this cloud that had been hovering over the the program just got bigger and bigger and you knew the storm was about to hit and that and that's that's a shame that's a shame because they they were putting together a heck of a season and like you said it it encroached on the uh, the end of that and as you said Bill I think the players handled it as as professionally as you can and that's it's it's a shame they had to go through that I mean the players are blindsided and and. Cooley made them look foolish. He did. Um, are you going to openly talk to your team that you're talking to Georgetown or you're entertaining other offers from other schools? No, but you've got to tell them post game once your season is officially over. You know, you, you, you just, you, you've got to have some advice uh, advisory figure. Um, who you can lean on, you meaning Cooley, who can help him through the process. And then he can relay to his team. And this was completely different from Dan Hurley. Dan Hurley was, I'm a program builder. I went from the high school ranks to Wagner to URI. What is the next step on the ladder? My dad's a national name. My brother is a star point guard in college. And he's also a coach in, in college. 
Dan Hurley's not from here. There was no emotional connection. It was, hey, let me get this program to a top 25 team and let me continue to move up because everybody knows that I am much better than Rhode Island. And now he is. He's in the final four. And they are the the on favorite to win it. But the the, the two reasons why, like, as cool as it got out of hand with Cooley, like, he had the emotional tie. And then two, he had other, he had entertained some other offers before, but this one was legitimate. So he was probably going back and forth one night going to bed. How could I leave this place the next night? Well, wait a minute. Like, John Thompson is one of my, you know, one of my mentors, one of my idols. Like, I have a chance to, like, go make this jump that, you know, I never thought was possible from the time I was xyz age growing up in the streets of Providence. like there was just these two main uh contributing factors i believe that were just in his head that he needed some help it's no fault of his own that he that his brain was cloudy and that he couldn't make sound decisions and that's how it played out in public for four to six weeks like you can't fault the man for being human he was completely human he was as bill said we believe he was as, as truthful and honest publicly to us However, he just got no advice, none, zero. And it made him look really bad, even though he was just going through a regular decision-making process like any human does. Sorry to jump in there, Maury. I just like the the Hurley thing. The reason I bring it up is I just, I'm thinking back to it. And because like I said, it's very, as you just pointed out, it's very, very, very different. But I just think back to like the 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 basis of it, like the rumors, like there was thoughts there that he was going to, you know, entertain other jobs and whatnot. It's just like it, we didn't it, it wasn't a lingering rumor. It was something we talked about, something we may have talked about on a podcast, whatever. It's probably going to happen, whatever. But it wasn't like this, like the fact that there were reports out there weeks before it happened that Georgetown has their man. I mean, that is wild to me because there's been coaches that have elevated before. There's been coaching searches. There's been guys that have taken other jobs. That happens every year. But this was like it it was it was like it was already done, which I don't know. I I don't know. You know, but like that's the wild thing is that it was just it lingered so long. And and I, I just never seen something like that. Yeah, so now we're we're left with Ed Cooley at Georgetown. Uh he's obviously there are there are advantages to that job that the coaching fraternity sees that the average fan does not. Um the average fan looks and says Georgetown was six and twenty-five last year. They were seven and twenty-five this season. Why would you ever want to go there? It's not nineteen eighty-four anymore. Uh, you know, they will never be John Thompson's program again. Uh, they don't have that sort of standing in college basketball. The reason you go is recruiting area. You've got two dozen odd four-star recruits and above who are in D.C., Maryland, Virginia. That's proximity. You get a little more money, obviously. Not not a ton more in terms of salary, but a little bit more. You have equal facilities at Georgetown, practice facility, $3 billion endowments, the largest in the league. You also get a fresh start. You get the next two or three years as a buffer. It's not Providence anymore where you lose in the NCAA tournament and the fans are just as likely to say, well, this is your fifth one and done in the NCAA tournament. Have we maxed out with you? 
Never mind, have you maxed out with us? Georgetown would kill to go 21 and 12 and be in the NCAA tournament right now. They would love to do that. That would be a roaring success for them if they did that in any of the next three seasons. Uh, and Ed Cooley would be hailed as the person who turned it around and got them back to relevance and and got them back into the top half of the league. Um, you know, and someone who could build it even more. Um, and that's very appealing to to coaches, certainly. There's obviously a family component to this. Um, you know, Ed Cooley is is a big fish in a small pond in, in Providence. At Georgetown, in Washington, D.C., the big sport there is politics. Politics, U.S. government, and then pros. You have the Capitals, you've got the Wizards, you've got the Nationals. You know, those are the dominant entities there, and, and the Commanders, to a lesser extent, at this point. Those are the dominant entities there. Georgetown basketball can occupy a space on that landscape, but nowhere near the market share that Providence commands here. Um, and I think we can skip all the tawdry supposition from Providence fans, all the social media speculation about Ed Cooley's personal life. Uh, you know, quite honestly, it's classless. Um, a lot of PC fans out there telling on themselves over the last week. Uh, I'd like to know where all this was two months ago. If you claim to know about certain things in Ed Cooley's personal life that forced him to Georgetown, it's ridiculous. Um, and it's really beneath who they should be uh, as a fan base. It, it's really, uh, you know, something that shouldn't be broached in that way, unless you have some sort of public level of proof, uh, you know, and, and so that's, Certainly uncomfortable, and and if it was me, would validate my decision even further to to leave. Um, but I just look at at Ed's legacy going forward. If you had asked that last year, coming off of Sweet Sixteen and doing a host of community events, and you know, sitting on the board of a charter school in South Providence, and you know, his charitable initiatives outside of coaching. Uh, the fact that he's addressing the freshman class on campus at PC. His legacy was so cemented, so secured, or at least it felt like. And now I, I look ahead at the schedule this year when Georgetown comes to the AMP, and I shudder to think at how he and the Hoyers are going to be treated on that night. It's going to be worse than anything they do to URI, anything they do to Dan Hurley and UConn, Anything they do to Rick Patino and St. John's, I, I really think they're in for 40 minutes of abuse that night at the Amp. Something beyond what we've seen before. Yeah, it, it's going to be um, a very, very tense atmosphere, obviously. Um, and I, I think with with time, I, I think fans will look at this this 12 years in the Ed Cooley era and see what he was able to do, um, you know, obviously in elevating the program to where it is. Like Kim English is walking into a really, really nice setup here. Really good setup with the practice facility. It's a good job. He's got good players in the program right now. This is a different Providence job than what Ed Cooley walked into, obviously, after Keno Davis. Um but you're right. After the last 
four to six weeks and how things played out, people are hurt by it. They're hurt. Fans of the program, supporters of the program, because of just how personal it was and just how public everything played out. And then the fact, as as we said, that that he's going to a conference rival. It's it's um it's wild. The the legacy, you you thought it was in cement and it was what it was, but there's it is different than what it would have been if things played out differently. That's for sure. Yeah, I mean that's the toughest part of our jobs. <clears throat> you know, some of the the stuff that we put out on social media, it's like you can't write Ed Cooley's story without the last four to six weeks. You just can't. Like he he did that to himself. Does it erase all of the good that he did off the court, on the court? Not at all. 50 years from now, he's going to be revered as one of the greatest coaches in program history. However, in order to tell the current story and the current situation, you have to dig into all of these things. You have to dig into when the house was on the market. You have to dig into, you know, that 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 they put that they put it on that when he still hadn't technically even resigned from the job. Um, and he can say what he wants. It's just bad optics. So we don't know if it's true or not, if they were planning on selling the house, if they were whatever the case is. Oh, Maury, Maury's got a little technical problem there, a little iPhone cutout. Uh, he might have to log out, log back in. Fell into the uh, the uh, WPRI 12 studio abyss. Right. He fell into the Zoom portal, not the transfer portal. Fell into the I Zoom went portal. Into the, oh, he's back. I went, he's into, back. The, I went into the Zoom portal. Sorry about We should have better Wi-Fi at a TV station, right? If yeah, I, you would think too, but I I had to plug into uh, Ethernet tonight too, just to make sure that that didn't happen to me. Go figure. Oh wow, so, wow. Yeah. Well, I don't know where you guys left off. Anyway, in short, his twelve years will be looked at much more fondly than it is right now. However, the, you can't tell his story without the last chapter of 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 the last four to six weeks. Turning the page forward, as you guys talk about Kim English and the job that he inherits, it's in a much better spot. Then Ed Cooley inherited it in 2011. However, I just don't know if Providence can crack that top five, top six right away. I think that's the big challenge. Like Kim English has the toys. He talked about that. They've got the Ruane Development Center. He's got 10,000 season ticket holders. Uh, they're the pro team in the market. Um, they seem to have a solid plan NIL-wise. Right. They have to continue to grow and evolve on a daily basis. But there are pillars that are set in place for the program to succeed much differently than when Ed Cooley took over in 2011. But you look at the landscape of the Big East, and this is not including Villanova. you got to go up and recruit against guys like Shaka Smart and Sean Miller and Greg McDermott and Rick Pitino and Ed Pitino. And and if you if you just label the programs in order of head coach success, resume, recruiting, all of that, sort of like you do in the NFL when you're like, all right, who are the contenders? Because we're just going to rate the teams based on quarterback. It's very much similar in college basketball. It's who can recruit, who can coach and who can and who can lead. Well, that's the head coach. The head coach is the quarterback. No, he doesn't play. He doesn't put the ball in the hoop, 
but he he assembles the 15 guys on the on the on the floor. He assembles which guys are on the floor in certain spots. And if you're just ranking the teams right now based on head coach, I hate to say it, but Providence is in that six seven range. Now, can the Big East have six or seven teams in the NCAA tournament on an annual basis? You hope. They won't have the dregs of the St. John's and the Georgetowns that had previously pulled the league down. So hopefully they'll have a chance to slide a few more teams in that back end. Like this year, they got five, you know, maybe you get six, maybe you get seven. But Kim English is going up against some grizzly veterans, some grizzled veterans, and he knows that. And that's that's the biggest that's the biggest hurdle that he has to overcome in these first couple of years, in my opinion. Right, so we turn it ahead now to Kim English, uh, officially hired last Thursday, will be officially introduced on Wednesday morning. We'll all be there for the press conference on campus at Providence starting at 11 a.m. Uh, it'll be a joint presser. They'll also introduce Aaron Bath, the new women's coach at PC. Uh, you know, But just going off the men's program and, and Kim English, um, an interesting hire, obviously one that Steve Napolillo, the athletic director, acknowledges will either make or break his tenure at Providence. If Kim English is a big success, uh, Nap's going to be heralded as you know someone who pivoted quickly and was resourceful and decisive and acted with conviction and made the right hire. If Kim English does not work, Nap's next contract is going in the circular file, in the trash. It'll be done. Uh, and Providence will be starting all over again, granted with a better job than what they offered Keno Davis and Ed Cooley. But as Maury alluded to, the Big East has a team in the Final Four in Connecticut who's not going anywhere with Dan Hurley. They had two others in the Sweet 16, Creighton and Xavier. You've got Marquette, who didn't make the second weekend. All they did was win the regular season and the tournament titles in the league. You've got Ed Cooley going to Georgetown. We've seen what he did at Providence. There's no reason to think he won't have them up and running soon. You've got Rick Pitino back in the league at St. John's, staying in the New York market. Felt like that was a done deal a couple weeks ago. No reason to think he won't win at St. John's in cooperation with Brian Shanley, who we saw what he did at Providence as the president, you know, pretty much revitalizing that university, uh, you know, revitalizing that campus. That men's basketball program, um, reshaping its physical footprint, using sports to do that, primarily men's basketball, men's hockey. So you look at the landscape in the league, and it is difficult. Kim English comes in as, as someone who was a head coach for two years at George Mason, uh, was an assistant previously at Tulsa, Colorado, and Tennessee. That's the connection to, Provin to Providence. He worked for Rick Barnes with the Volunteers. He got a good recommendation from Rick Barnes to Steve Napolillo, who spoke with Barnes, Billy Donovan, Doris Burke, Tad Boyle, uh, some other folks who are very experienced in the basketball world, pro and college. Uh, you know, whipped out his Rolodex and, and did his consulting and ultimately landed on a coach who I feel like he thinks he can grow with. He feels like Kim English is a partner a peer that they are in a similar place in their respective careers with Steve just starting out really as the athletic director at Providence, even though he's been in the department for a long time. Um, he's coming up on one year in the top job and English who has been a head coach for two years, someone who is a rising star in the profession. That's how he's viewed 
Uh, terrific recruiter, obviously, at Colorado, at Tennessee. Um, you know, someone who won 20 games at George Mason last year and upgraded the talent in that program. But in terms of his head coaching resume, we'll see. He's got a lot of the raw elements that you would like in a hire, uh, but he's maybe not as successful on paper yet as some Providence fans would have liked to see. You you heard discussions about maybe Patino, maybe Billy Donovan, who signed an extension with the Chicago Bulls before the start of the year. That wound up being prohibitive. Uh, a couple guys who I really like, Steve Peichel at Rutgers, Mike Boynton at Oklahoma State. They both had eight-figure buyouts. It's a very steep price to pay for a head coach. Uh, Micah Shrewsbury, who got in the NCAA tournament with Penn State, He's an Indianapolis native. He went home to Indiana as the new head coach at Notre Dame. I felt like those were probably the best candidates for the job. I did have Tim English on my initial list because I felt like he fit a lot of the criteria that Steve Napolillo would look for. Uh, I give Steve credit for this. Tim English was the guy he targeted from the outset, and he got his man. Uh, and whether or not it works, Steve will never have to sit there and second-guess himself and say, why settled for second best or third best or fourth best? He hired the person he wanted, who he identified it felt like long before the deal was officially done for Ed Cooley to go to Georgetown. Um, and, and in that way, I give him a lot of credit for the process that he ran because it was tight, it was quick, and he closed effectively. And decisive. And, and he saw the signs and had the ideas in his head like, look, I need to be prepared if Ed walks out the door. And as the rumors were swirling and swirling and swirling, Steve Knapp was ready to go, ready to strike. And in this college basketball landscape, you have to be because the transfer portal, as we're seeing here, it's on a daily basis. It's on an hourly basis. Things change like that. And so he knew, okay, if my head coach currently is walking out the door, then I need to be ready to bring in somebody and fast because I can't wait. I can't go. There's no long drawn out process here. I got to get moving and I got to get moving now because by him doing that, look at the work that Kim English has already been able to do. And he was officially named on Thursday. We're sitting here on Tuesday, the 28th. And he's already figured out some of his roster, and he hasn't been formally introduced as the head coach yet. That happens Wednesday. That was why it was so important to act swiftly and decisively. And by doing that, too, obviously, Steve targeted the guy that he wanted, as you mentioned, Bill. And so you move quickly. It means that you have probably some of the first shots at some of the guys that you would want. He targeted his man, and he got him. I think with a coaching search like this, you you probably have a couple of home run swings that you're thinking, right? Billy Donovan would qualify as a home run swing. Billy, what do you think? We come back to the college game? No, making a lot of money in the NBA. You're happy. Don't have to recruit. You're coaching pros. Okay, fine. Help me find who I should be looking at, right? Help me go that direction. Rick Pitino. Probably pretty, you know, done at St. John's. I, I know maybe, you know, maybe the nostalgia, bring him back, whatever, but yeah, it's done at St. John's probably. All right, you know, could be a home run swing. Bring him back, the nostalgia, 87, Friar Fever again. Okay, not happening. 
So where do you go? Have some foresight and go on a, and go on a guy that you think is going to be the next big thing. That's why I like the hire because you're not going for a guy who's been five or six different plays. It's not a long resume, as you mentioned. It's not a long resume. He's been in an NCAA tournament. He's a young guy. Scary. He's my age. Scary. But I love it because everybody around here is saying, like, oh, he's a young coach. That's great. Thanks, everybody. Make me feel young, too. But, like, that's a great thing. You have some foresight in thinking that this guy's going to be the next thing. And as Bill, you mentioned, he Steve Knapp can grow with this guy and they can build a partnership here. And that's the whole idea behind it. Yeah. Any, anytime you have your guy and you go out and get him, as Bill mentioned, um, that that is impressive. Um, I think that uh, it's way too early to say, will Kim English be good? Will Kim English not be good? Uh, we lay out all the pros uh, that the that the program has to offer right now, uh, all the benefits, all the pluses, and then you lay out, you know, the work that is to be done. Um, I like the fact that I know we touched on it briefly there, but to wait till Wednesday to have his press conference, um, he can talk about the guys he's bringing in, a couple of his players from George Mason, a couple of the guys returning you know, that we found out today, uh, a few guys uh, have entered the transfer portal, whether it be a guy like Jaden Pierre or Jared Bynum. Um, so we can also ask about those players. What were those conversations like? So we do have a little bit more clarity. The roster is coming into focus a little bit. Uh, but you know that that Kim English is is has been hard at work and will continue to be hard at work uh, to fill out a roster that is competitive and that can compete for championships. Um, excited to form a new relationship with a guy who um, we haven't seen much, you know, in his career, uh, whether it be in college, he wasn't a DMV guy that chose Georgetown. He wasn't a DMV guy that, you know, chose to stay on the East coast who maybe Providence or URI would have run into in the A-10 or, or in the big East conference. Uh, this is a guy who played at Missouri and, and, you know, for the most part coached out of the region uh, and his little stint in the NBA was not in the region. So it's a, it's a pretty blank blank slate here. Um, and I, I'm excited to um, see what he has to bring, uh, see what he has to offer uh, and see if he can deliver on what a lot of people have made him out to be, which is a rising star, a recruiting savant, um, you know, I hate to throw out the cliche of players coach, but is young and, you know, relatable to the players played in the NBA. Everybody wants to play in the NBA. Like there's a lot of those things here that he can now fulfill. He can now check those boxes. Like that's on our checklist as journalists and as guys who are on the beat and cover the team. All right. So this is what everybody says about him. Now let's go give him some years to go try to become that and check off those boxes here in Providence. Yeah, he's already figured out how to eat in Providence. Friday night, he was out to dinner at Casarino's. A-plus for his choice there. Uh, never had a bad meal in, in that spot. Um, and certainly, it, it sounded like he was entertaining Bryce Hopkins and, and his family. Uh, and that is certainly important going forward. His roster, how he builds this, what's going to happen here. Uh, you guys mentioned it. He's got a couple commits from George Mason who will help him right away. Josh Aduro was a two-time All-A-10 big man, um, a fifth-year grad transfer type of guy who will set the foundation for him up front in the paint. Uh, I thought he was a good get off the market considering where else he could have gone. He's also bringing 
Justin Fernandez, who just played his freshman year at George Mason. He was a top 100 recruit, had high major offers, was a Virginia kid who elected to go to IMG, prepped in Florida, came back home. Um, Someone who didn't really produce a lot last year at George Mason, but I would say with the sport and how old it is right now, you consider you've got COVID fifth year and sixth year guys. There aren't many freshmen who are putting up big numbers in the sport. It's going to take those guys a little time to get to the point where they are productive players. And I think you'll see more of that out of Fernandez next year and in the years to come. Uh, He's gotten commitments to stay from Alan Breed and Corey Floyd, two more guards who will give them a little bit of experience. Breed obviously made nine starts this year. Floyd started to play a little bit more at the end of the year. Still a young guy. He only turns 20 in January. Um, You know, so for a second year player, in the modern landscape of the game, a very young player going into his junior season. Uh, you look at, as Maury alluded to, guys who are in the portal. Jared Bynum is in the transfer portal. Jaden Pierre announced Tuesday he would be in the transfer portal. He's a four-star recruit coming in last year. Didn't get a ton of time, but somebody who they were excited about when he committed here. His other finalist was Xavier, Florida, Minnesota. Um, so you beat out a conference rival, an SEC, and a Big Ten team for him. Um, you've lost one member of your recruiting class. Drew Fielder is going to follow Ed Cooley to Georgetown. Kayvon Mulready, who's a 2024 guard, committed to Providence. He's going to follow Ed Cooley to Georgetown. Donovan Santoro, who's a wing shooter, coming in next year. He reaffirmed his commitment to Providence. Kim English was in Los Angeles over the weekend trying to get the Southern California Academy guys, and that was Santoro, Fielder, and Garway Duval. We'll see where he ends up. Obviously, top 80 prospect consensus would be a huge get if they're able to get him to recommit here. I don't know if necessarily that's going to happen. But you see him working already. He's out there in four or five days, and he's scrambling to try and fill this roster, and he's made offers to guys in the class of 2024 and 2025, and has made contact with guys who are in the portal. And, you know, that's modern college basketball these days. It is a scramble to put together a roster every year. When you lose the coach, it's even more so. Um, The fact that he's been able to pivot and keep a couple players is a good thing. We're waiting on decisions for Bryce Hopkins and Devin Carter. It'll be very interesting to see if they're at the press conference on Wednesday uh, because their attendance – If you go back to Archie Miller when he was hired at URI, it felt like most of the guys who were at that presser wound up staying in Kingston this year. Um, So certainly bring your pen and pencil if you're going to Alumni Hall and write down some of the names of either coaching staff members or players who you see because Kim English is actively recruiting not only his own roster but guys from the outside at this point. And it's changing by the hour. (laughs) <laughs> as the portal turns that's right it's amazing just how how swiftly this all and quick how this all happens um but like you guys i'm looking forward to wednesday um just you know hearing kim english you know speak in front of the fans um and there's a after a a, a tense month here i think these days are always um you know joyous um, and particularly after what's gone, what's happened and what the program has gone through, the fan base has gone through the last month. Um, you know, I think this in particular is going to be, uh, I think, uplifting, if you will, 
uh, for the for Friartown, you know, seeing the new coaches introduced. Yeah, I, you know, everyone wants answers right away, obviously. And and that's not the way that these things play out. You know, the players need to go through their process, whether it's being re-recruited by the new coach or, you know, dipping their toe in the portal and then ultimately coming back. Um, those are not immediate decisions. Uh, and it's a big life decision for the players. I, I don't necessarily fault them if they'd like to take their time and and either speak with people they trust, whether that's parents or, or coaches or, you know, friends and family. Um, I, I don't fault them for that whatsoever. I, I know it's, it's difficult to sit through if you're a fan or, or a media member, but uh, you know, I think that's just the reality of the situation. Um, and we should have more clarity on Providence's roster here as we go forward in the days and weeks ahead. Uh, I think the entries to the portal cut off what, guys? On May 1st, I want to say? Yeah, I believe so. So we'll have an idea, you know, by the end of next month, pretty much who's going to stay, who's going to go, who they'll be able to land. Um, They're obviously in contact with with certain players now and, you know, trying to visit them or or get those players in here to visit campus. I just wonder, guys, what do you see in terms of immediate future for Providence? If if you had to set, you know, without knowing the roster, obviously, without, you know, knowing who ultimately is here, whether it's coaching-wise or, or player-wise, if you go to 2023-24, what, what, would, what would you feel like is a good debut for Kim English here? Something that could set him up for success going forward. What, what do you guys want to see? I'd like to see an identity. Uh, I think it's way too early to even talk about like wins and losses and uh, place in the standings. And I mean, they're going to be picked preseason poll, uh, not high. Um, they will not be viewed as an NCAA tournament team right off the right off the bat. Um, I would like to see <clears throat> um, a strong out of conference slate scheduled. Um, you know, that's something that Kim English did at George, Ma- George Mason, um, you know, whether it be starting the year at Auburn this year, um, or just playing in, I think they played in the paradise jam or, uh, they, they played some strong opponents. So I would like to see a strong, strong out of conference schedule. I would like to see, um, an identity on the floor. Uh, he's known as a defensive coach. Uh, so I would like to see what, what the, what the identity is on the offensive side of the, of the floor. He said he wants to recruit shooters. Can he bring in some guys who can light it up from distance? That wasn't something that we, you know, necessarily were used to seeing under Ed Cooley. Um, you know, they they improved uh, over the course of his time, and they got more efficient on the offensive side. But um, he never had consistent knockdown shooters. He had guys who could who could show uh, show up here and there. Um, so so I'm looking at the scheduling. I'm looking at the players. Um, and I'm, I'm just looking for, for a competitive season. Um, you know, can this team do what, you know, maybe what like a Seton Hall did last year, uh, under a guy like Shaheen Holloway, who will be entering his second season. You know, they were on the right side of the bubble for the middle, for the middle part of January, maybe heading into February. They popped a huge win over UConn at home. 
Um, they were hanging right there for a first round bye in the Big East tournament. Um, and then, you know, had a, had an exclamation point, you know, to end their season with a victory at Providence on senior day. Um, you know, now, now it didn't go their way in the Big East tournament. And you can't expect those results to come in March right away. But you would like to see some semblance of a, of a competitive season. Nothing like what Archie Miller had in Kingston in his first year. Uh, the cupboard is not there. Uh, the program is in is in really good shape. Uh, does it mean they're going to win 20 games? I mean, if the strength of schedule in the non-conference is in the 300s, then yeah, then I'm expecting 20 wins. Uh, but I would like the strength of schedule to, to, to you know mirror something of an NCAA tournament resume. You know you're going to have the Big East Big 12 Challenge. You might have a Gavit game in there. You know, hopefully you can get an MTE event on a neutral floor. Um, you know, you've got the home game against URI who should be better this upcoming season. Like, you know, can you go out and schedule one or two other teams? Or as we talk about sometimes, can you cheat the net? You know, will you go to Brown and play a quote road game that's in your city where you, if you get that win, maybe that's a quad two as opposed to having it as a quad three. Um, you know, if you want to play a team from the Ivy League, don't play Columbia at home. Or if you want to play a team from the America East, don't play Albany at home. Play one of the top four schools in that league, where if they pop off like a UMass Lowell did this year or a Vermont, then that can pull you up to a quad two or quad three win as opposed to a quad four win at home. So, so much goes into it. Um, but for me, it's the identity on the floor. It's the schedule. And then it's, can you be somewhat near the bubble? Like somewhat, can you have a puncher's chance um, in February? If you, you know, you probably got to rattle off like five games, five wins that month. But uh, if you're in that mix and you're in an NIT and you're in, in Kim English's first year, for me, uh, I'm giving him, you know, a solid B plus uh, if that's the season that we have this upcoming year. So are you implying that we could see Kim English play in Smithfield against Jared Grosso and maybe PC and Bryant. Maybe that matches up. I don't know if he'd go go, to Smithfield. I'm not going to be on the record saying he's going to go to the chase. Look, I'm just saying, you know, we throw in these things out, go to the Pizzatola Center. But I'm on the record record with saying he could play them. I did see TJ Sorrentine. We did see see TJ Sorrentine tweet out. That oh, it's only you know eight tenths of a mile to go from the amp to uh, to the east side. Uh, we know we know that those two programs have flirted before, and we know the reason why you know Cooley never played Brown after that. But yeah, I think I think that would be healthy for the state of college basketball in our in our area. Bring the Friars to the doghouse. Let's go. Bryant opening its new convocation center in two years against Providence. Confirmed. <laughs> Maury Hurst Gordon with a scoop right there. Confirmed. Bryant, 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 would, uh, Bryant would have to pay Providence to do that. Not, <laughs> not, the, not the other way around. No, I, I, I'm with you, Maury. I, I think it's it's too soon to I, – I, I don't even want to totally entertain – like February, March-ish yet, because I just don't know what their roster is going to look like. Because if you have Bryce Hopkins and Devin Carter on this roster, you're in really, really good shape. Like yeah, you're he, still going to be pretty good. good. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm with you on the fact that you say identity. The word that came into my head was brand. What is the Kim English brand 
of Providence basketball. And maybe we're seeing a little bit of, uh, of it right now. Like, what's the mindset of Friar basketball going forward, right? That's, you know, I'm sorry. I'm just la- I'm lamely throwing out the new catchphrase, which is funny. Um, but, I, you know, it's great. It's, it's great to see that kind of thing, that branding right away. Um, because, you know, it gives you that, as you mentioned, identity. You're laughing at me, Bill. <laughs> but since, no, it gives you that identity. It does. Um, you know, and I, I, I think you, you start getting buy-in from players, even players that are here. Because the foundation, this is not a culture, like an overall overhaul, like culture change, right? Because the foundation is there. Now you just got to say, okay, what is our culture going forward? You have guys that have bought in in the past. What are they buying in on now? And what can they do to enhance or reimagine, you know, this identity, this brand of Friar basketball under Kim English? Um, And you have all the pieces, the resources there to do it. And so, yeah, you want to see what the stamp is, you know, from the new coach in year one. Stop laughing at me, Bill. (laughs) We're we're laughing because Coit and I played golf over the weekend and we were talking about mindset on the golf course and you know how lousy both of ours was you know because you hit a bad shot then you hit another bad (laughs) shot or you hit a bad putt and it's another bad putt and it's like you know my mindset stinks like you would just say it you know just say it standing there on the green and it's like yeah i've already got my shot to brag about of the season so far already yes coit made coit made back-to-back birdies at 10 and 11 at tricks at triggs and the second one was a chip in um very impressive i was uh he humbled us for sure he humbled the rest of the group the way he played it was it was impressive um, the final three but no i'm i'm with you guys certainly um you know you you just want to see something established here you you want to see a baseline established uh you know you want to see a belief that this could progress quickly going forward um you know english already has his associate head coach from George Mason in place. That's Dennis Felton. He was an assistant under Rick Barnes here uh, from 1992 to 94. I'll be really interested to speak to him at the press conference because this is a very different job than the one he walked into 30 years ago. Um, You know, Providence is much more on level footing with the other teams in the big East in terms of their resources, what they spend, how they operate their facility, charter flights, salaries, whatever it may be. And that's a big credit to Steve Napolillo and all the work he did under Bob Driscoll. And now when it came his turn to hire a coach, he benefited from all that legwork that he did in the department as its chief fundraiser over the years, elevating this program to the point where it should be a more seamless transition than it was at Rhode Island, going from Dan Hurley to David Cox to Archie Miller. Um, you know, the the floor should be higher than what it is at some other programs. Uh, that's what you hope, that all the work you've done in terms of funding and operations and branding and anything else will prevent you from bottoming out in some real way where you are down for three or four years. And you might only be out of contention for one year or two years. Um, and so you certainly hope that that is the case going forward. Um Speaking of Dan Hurley, guys, obviously UConn breaking through into the Final Four. I will admit I did not have any of these four teams in my brackets. Uh, My last hope was Texas. 
who got taken out by Miami in a regional final. Old friend Jim Laranega, the former Providence point guard, back in the final four for the second time. His first one was at George Mason in 2006. He's a great story in terms of longevity, how to stay relevant. He was in the Elite Eight with Miami last year. We saw his team in Chicago lose to Kansas, the eventual national champions. We saw them earlier this year really beat the Friars handily, uh, despite what the final score said, beat them comfortably at Mohegan Sun and MTE. Knew they were a good team. Didn't know they were this good. Um, so certainly UConn and Miami on one side, uh, a little bit of URIPC flavor there. On the other side, two teams from mid-major conferences, San Diego State and Florida Atlantic. Terrific stories. Uh, you know, should be motivational for teams in the rest of the sport who aren't necessarily traditional blue bloods. Um, you've got Conference USA, the Mountain West, the Big East, and the ACC in the Final Four. It, it's a fascinating grouping going to Houston. Well, and obviously we have, um, you know, the 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 Jim Laranaga story is fantastic. It's fantastic and just, you know, it's it's very down to earth in the fact that you know, any casual person that I talk to in my life, you know, like say like my mom, you know, it's like, oh, I like the I like the coach that was dancing in the locker room with the players. Like that's, you know, it's very down to earth, right? Because he's an older guy. He's clearly been in the coaching game for a long, long time, been around the game for a long, long time. And he's having the success, you know, in the latter part of his coaching career. That's that's pretty cool. Um, and obviously the the big thing around here for us is the fact that that Dan Hurley has has taken uh URI or URI Yukon to the final four um you know after rebuilding at Wagner after rebuilding and building up at URI you know he's now where he's at um and you know five years ago he takes the job and here he is now um and it was always Billy you wrote a great piece today by the way and it was always about the fact that you know, Dan always said, like, when we do this, when we do that, I, I thought that was just it was spot on because he's always like, and, you know, there's that video out there from a few years ago when he first started with this program saying, like, you better get us now because it's coming. It's coming. And yeah. he called his shot. And when he recruited the right guys to this program and then, you know, last year he had a team that was, you know, that was good, but you know, still needed some tweaks. And he, you know, he kept together, you know, a guy like Sonogo is a guy that you, you know, stick in the middle there and you say, all right, how can I build around this guy? And, you know, brings in some of the guys that he has and he's built this team into a contender. And he's always believed in the fact that he could build up programs like this. Now you put him at a top 10 job in the country and look at what he's done. He's in the final four and should be favored to win the national championship this weekend. Um, that's that's pretty darn impressive. And so obviously we'll be watching with a close eye because um, we've seen the work that he's put in at all the programs and stops he's been at and obviously now has the, the chance to really ultimately shine. Yeah, echo what you guys said for sure. Um, I like the fact that the two mid-majors are playing one another. If it would have been Miami on one side and UConn on another, a lot of people would have rooted for the favorites. And then we might have seen two power five, power six conferences go head to head in the championship. At least Cinderella gets gets a crack at at um, you know keeping her keeping her label on. Um, you know the winner of that 
San Diego State Florida Atlantic game, that first one, um, most of the country will be rooting for on Monday night outside of if you are uh, a Connecticut resident, an alum of the university, or have some tie to the program, or you get to live year round in sunny South Florida. Um, or have those other connections to the university that I just laid out with, with Connecticut. So I really like that. I like the fact that, that FAU is going to get the shot. They're going to be 40 minutes away. Or San Diego State is going to get the shot. And both of them deserve to be there. Like, it's not just like that they're Cinderella's. I hate to use that word. It's really a lack of a it's, – it's really a word because I don't have any other better word right now in this moment. Like, Fairleigh Dickinson, Cinderella, St. Peter's last year, Cinderella. Like, Florida Atlantic, to me, underseeded. Like 35 and three, no way should you be a nine seed, especially not in the league that they're in, in Conference USA, where they've got North Texas, who they beat twice in the regular season, who's in the NIT semifinals tonight on Monday, I mean, on Tuesday. And then they also have other really good teams in that league that you could go through. Uh, I believe is UAB in conference, UAB's in Conference USA. So there, look at it. So so UAB and North Texas, the teams that finished second and third, are two of the final four teams in the NIT remaining. And they had a winning record against those squads. Like, there's a reason why. They should have been a five or a six. And people should have been picking them like a Miami to get to a final four. And then and then San Diego State, I mean, the program's just been on a tear since Steve Fisher took over. And Brian Dutcher's been, been by his side ever since. Um, I mean, that program has had athletes. That program has had pros. That program has had all-stars. Uh, you go right on down the line. There was a great little piece on ESPN.com today about building the best starting five of the four remaining teams in their program history. And you look at San Diego State, whether it's Armand Franklin, whether it's Kawhi Leonard, I mean, guys up and down the line that are littered, that have been top seeds in the tournament before. They just don't necessarily get the major play because they're on the other coast. Uh, you got to stay up late to watch them. They don't get the same buzz. They are very much deserving. Uh, to be in that spot, just like Miami and just like UConn. We've laid out the Miami and the UConn stuff. That was just to give the little guys some credit um, in, in being there. But it's going to be a fascinating Final Four. And, and honestly, this whole narrative out there, social media, whatever, that's like, oh, it's going to be the lowest rated Final Four out there. You know what? Who cares? Like, who cares? They're still going to get – they're going to give out the, tra- the trophy. D- does the trophy mean any less if Florida Atlantic in 80 minutes – takes it home to Boca and is, and is your national champion? Like, not at all. Like, they beat Tennessee. They beat Memphis. They beat Kansas State to get there. Like, they beat Fairleigh Dickinson, who beat Purdue. Like, they these all, all the four teams deserve it. So whoever comes out on top will be a deserving champion. Uh, and I think it's just tremendous for the sport that, uh, what is it, no McDonald's All-Americans are are in the final four on, on any four of those teams? And you've got no one, two, or three seeds. I mean, it's a tribute to the sport. And it, it is truly anyone's game. Kim English brought that up in his press conference with us uh, via Zoom on Thursday when he was hired. Like, when you're at a place like Providence and you compete for Big East championships, that will get you in the show. Like, you just have to be one of those 68, and it is a fact now. Pretty much regardless of your seeding, whether it's a 15 seed and three straight sweet 16s, whether it's a 16 over a one again, whether it's a four, a five, a five, and a nine in the final four. Like, it doesn't matter what seed you are. You have a chance if you are in the bracket on Selection Sunday. And that's the best part of this Final Four this season. You can have favorable matchups. You cannot get lucky and win six games in a row in March. It just does not work that way. 
Uh, you know, these teams are, yes, they are fortunate to be there, but they are not undeserving in, in any way, shape, or form. Uh, you know, Maury, you mentioned San Diego State. They were here in 2010 playing the NCAA tournament at the Dunkin' Donuts Center at the time. That team did have Kawhi Leonard. Uh, Steve Fisher was the head coach. Brian Dutcher, who is the current head coach of the Aztecs, has been a Steve Fisher assistant since he was at Michigan. Brian Dutcher helped recruit the Fab Five. His key guy was Juwan Howard while he was at Michigan. He, I remember in the Fab Five doc on ESPN, the 30 for 30, he said, I recruited Juwan Howard every day. Every single day I was going to Chicago from Ann Arbor. Every single day that I could get there to try to get Juwan Howard. That was my guy to get. Um, and obviously they they had you know other guys from Det- Detroit, whether it be Chris Weber or Jalen Rose, uh, you know, and then they branched out into other states for Jimmy King and Ray Jackson. But Brian Dutcher has been around big time college basketball, Final Fours, legacy brands for three decades and more. Um, this will not be foreign to him in any way, going to the Final Four and and playing for a national championship. He's experienced this. He hasn't been the head guy, but he's experienced this, no question. Uh, Coit alluded to Dan Hurley earlier. They asked me to write about him for Tuesday's journal. And the thing that stuck with me covering Dan at URI, maybe more than anything else, was when they were bad his first couple of years, you know, before E.C. Matthews and before Hassan Martin and before Jared Terrell. He still had this habit of saying, when we. He would start sentences with when we're good or when we're playing for an A-10 championship or when we're in the NCAA tournament. And you'd sort of sit there and think, what is this guy talking about? His team is horrendous. Now, how can he actually believe that he's going to be able to win here? You know, this program that, that hasn't made an NCAA tournament since 1999 that he took over that was 7-24. and 24. How can he possibly see that? How can he have that much confidence in himself and his staff that he can build that, that he can get the players here to do that? And I guess that's just a lesson that highly successful people like that, highly motivated people like that, they think differently. They see the world differently. And and when you look at these coaches at this Final Four, you know, somebody like Laranaga, who made the Final Four with George Mason out of the Colonial. In, in 2006 and you know Brian Dutcher who was an assistant forever and, and Steve Fisher resigns and you know gives him the job at San Diego State finally gives him his start well into his career someone like Dusty May who's at Florida Atlantic uh, a good conference USA this year but Florida Atlantic's not supposed to be in the final four they're not supposed to be on level footing with Miami or better than Florida State um you know that's that's unthinkable previously and and then UConn Certainly, UConn had fallen on hard times the last couple of years under Kevin Ollie, but in terms of just job strength, UConn is the best of these four by a country mile. You had a feeling that if they got someone capable in there, that that it could be turned relatively quickly. I, I know that's the feeling in Maury's house for sure. Um, he's got strong UConn ties, uh, you know, through familial connections. Um, but I just I look at this Final Four and I. As someone who loves the sport, loves college basketball, I'm fascinated by it. I, I really am. I, I think it's a lot more interesting than if you had just Alabama, Kansas, and 
you know, give me another one seed, Houston, whoever it may be. Um, I think it's really interesting that some of these other teams and some of these other fan bases at this time in the sport where it's so volatile, where there's so much discussion about transfer portal and NIL and the big guys are just going to hog all the talent and they're going to win all the games and they're going to win all the championships and, you know, they'll be deep in the NCAA tournament. We have no chance. I, I think this is the perfect time for something like this to happen where teams who we didn't expect to be there, maybe aside from UConn, actually find themselves there and, and playing for the title. If you are Yanni Caracas and you had to predict in your career in media, especially in the you know in this like decade, which team you would think you'd be covering in the final four between Providence, you know, maybe like Virginia, was it Virginia, Virginia Tech, whatever, Richmond, those or FAU. FAU'd probably be at the bottom of the list of like programs you predict you'd be covering in the final four. And what's he doing this week? He's covering FAU, the Owls, on their way to the final four. That is wild to me. I just love seeing his tweets and whatnot. And one of the things that I saw that really struck me that makes it feel so cool and so meaningful that a program like that gets there is just watching them go through like a post-practice press conference on the week of them traveling to Houston. Like they've just got like a couple of tables set up and then there's just a smattering of microphones. And it's like, have they ever seen anything close to this at FAU in terms of attention, in terms of, you know, never, never. And that's, that's the cool part of this because UConn is a brand. They're used to this. The cool thing about this UConn team in particular, getting to the final four is Dan and the revitalization of the brand and of the program after falling in the hard times it did. Um, but for FAU, for San Diego State, like you mentioned, Maury, like one of those teams is going to be playing Monday night. And if they win it, that trophy will be shined on a 24-hour basis in whatever gym that they bring it home to. It's not going to collect dust at Kansas with the other 11 or whatever the heck they have going <laughs> to collect right. dust yeah. at at Rupp Arena where Kentucky has all of the old nets that they haven't touched since the 60s like it's going to mean something really really special but I I was just struck by seeing some of the you know media coverage from our old friend Yanni um, and seeing Jim Barron in the gym there too <laughs> helping to coach him up it's like you're drawing from every source this week because you're on the ultimate stage. That's pretty damn cool. Yeah, Dusty May said he heard from Bill Self. He heard from Brad Stevens this week uh, on just how to deal with the distractions and the travel and you know the open practice day at the Final Four and uh, maybe some tips on how to play in a football stadium because ultimately you, you don't do that very much. If you're at Florida Atlantic, you know, think back to the start of the year when Bryant went on that two-game Florida swing and and had Florida Atlantic in all kinds of trouble in the second half. This is Bryant, uh, a team that didn't come close to winning the America East. Uh, and Florida Atlantic ultimately turns out to be one of the best teams in the nation. Uh, Maury mentioned the the numbers earlier, and you know we don't like to get too stat-heavy on the pod, but they do tell a story. Florida Atlantic right now is 17 in Ken Palm. That would make them the top five seed in the field, not a nine. 
Um, you look at San Diego State, they're 14 in Ken Palm. That'd make them the middle four seed, you know, not a five. And you take away the the name if you said, uh, you know, you said that someone like Texas was a four seed. You give them a lot of respect in your bracket. You'd say, oh, yeah, they got a chance to beat a number one seed, and they've got a chance to make a deep run because they've got this guy and that guy and this guy. San Diego State has the same type of dudes. They perform the same type of way on paper, um, and they are playing for their respect uh, on a nightly basis and earning it. Um, so it is fascinating to to see this group at the Final Four, and and I think, I think Maury hit on this. It, it allows – other fan bases like Providence, like Rhode Island, uh, teams that have had recent NCAA tournament success, it allows you to dream that you could win that one or two extra games and and really get yourself into a place that's special and rare. Um, and I think that's the fun of of Saturday and Monday night. That, that's that's what I always look forward to. Just you know how unique that feeling is going into those games. I, I think it makes a lot of fun. So here, let me raise my Poland spring water bottle to covering a final four next year between <laughs> the between the Bryant Bulldogs and the Rhode Island Rams. There you go. <laughs> there you go. I mean, quite you you mentioned Yanni. If if we got Florida Atlantic and Miami in the national title game, it'd be up for grabs in like Boca Raton. Yeah. Oh yeah. I can imagine that. Oh yeah. Well, I you know I'm a big fan of Florida Atlantic's marketing campaign with with boca because they've been using seinfeld del boca vista in some of their marketing and that's just beautiful to me seeing frank costanza as part of a marketing campaign all these years later is just that's a beautiful thing they so. i guess they had i guess they had a watch party the other night and they had a cutout of kramer uh in the back of the room <laughs> a cardboard oh, yeah. cutout of, of kramer looking up uh with the patrons there so very 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 interesting certainly um guys what else you got my bracket was terrible <laughs> me too terrible, <laughs> terrible. Me too. My terrible. Hey, I did awful i did have creighton in the elite eight yeah that was my yep. one like feather in the cap yep same here creighton in the elite yeah. eight uh that was about it i mean the left yeah. side of the bracket was just up in flames I had, I had Utah State in the Elite Eight on that spot. I felt like that region could get a little crazy. Um, I felt like there was opportunity there at the bottom. And when they lost to Missouri, I was just like, oh, no. You know, really? Because they would have played Princeton in the next game, and, and I they, feel like they would have had the shooting to deal with Princeton. Yeah, they, they picked a bad time to have a bad shooting night. They They did. Uh, because opportunity was there. And then they match up with Creighton. I think they would have matched up pretty well with Creighton. I had them beating yeah, Creighton sure. in that game. Um, yeah. You know, so I that was tough. Uh, Texas, I had winning the whole thing. Was feeling pretty good about it um, after the third game. And then ultimately, they just couldn't stop Miami, who scored 88 points in, in that game. The other regions, I had no chance. I, I had Alabama and I had Marquette. They were both out early. Um, you know, Alabama got run over by San Diego State in the Sweet 16. Marquette lost to Michigan State in the second round uh, and fell one step shy of getting to Madison Square Garden, which would have been really interesting coming back to where they won the Big East tournament. 
Um, so like you guys, my, my brackets were terrible. Uh, I'm not going to win any of my pools. Um, I look forward to seeing, you know, which friends, little brother or significant other wins who, you know, doesn't watch college basketball at all. Uh, I'm, I'm sure that's going to happen. Um, you know, but it's certainly not going to be me taking home the money this year. I, I can tell you that. Me neither. <laughs> me neither. Though I regret, I almost picked UConn over Gonzaga. And I picked Gonzaga to get to the final four. And I should have picked UConn. I should have gone with my gut. And I regret that. But that's okay. My bracket stinks anyways. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, all right. Maury, um, Houston on the docket, potentially? So actually, no. We're flying to San Francisco. Uh, my cousin's getting married. Okay. But you best be sure on Saturday night at the rehearsal dinner, Miss Goodwill. She still's got, she's still got that last name for a few more months. <laughs> she will be watching the game intently on her phone. Uh, might have to say a few hellos to some family members and then drop the head and make sure she's not missing an Andre Jackson slam or a Sonogo put back dunk. Um, and then Monday night we're taking a red eye. So actually due to the time change, that will be perfect, uh, at an, at an airport bar. So, uh, if the Huskies can advance, that's where we will be taking in the national championship game. So here's a question. Who will suffer through working Saturday night for you at the station? Will it be Taylor or Sam? And because either way, you, you're going to have a disappointed coworker there. Oh anchoring. my God! You got to make me out to be like this, like <laughs> there it is. Saying, Listen, it's today. No, Sam's it's not. No fault of your own. No fault by you. It's just. It's just. Tough. I'm, just, it's just tough. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. You're like, yeah, no, you're Sam's like drawing the straws. You know. Sam's birthday's today. We made sure he got the day off on his birthday. However, Good. yes, uh, two UConn fans in our department. Taylor is actually with me right now as we record this in the office. She will be working. But we have oh. a TV that is literally six inches from the main editor in which we edit from. So I'm sure she will be locked in on that. She said, she says, we'll be good. good. <laughs> and, then and then Monday... And maybe I can have Sam do it. You guys can rock, paper, scissor it. Monday? Monday. Whoever has to, whoever's going to work Monday. Um, who is it Monday? Are you off Monday? We're, we're talking a little WPI schedules here. We're, we're getting off track. But either way, <laughs> either way. Um, yeah, you and Sam are off on anchoring. Taylor's anchoring. So, uh -huh. well, maybe it's good luck. Maybe they win Saturday. Taylor's yeah. back on Monday and they win again. And yeah. I, I just, I just beg any, I, I just beg any coaches, assistant coaches, players, high school coaches, anyone who might listen to this, please don't allow your players to go into the portal or commit on Saturday night or on Monday, please, no. please, no. save it, save it for a different time. You'll get your shine at that point, whether it's on Sunday or Tuesday. Just leave it alone during the two national semifinals and the title game. Leave it alone during South Carolina, Iowa. I want to see Caitlin Clark against Dawn Staley's team. Best offensive player in the country. Best player in the country this season, in my mind, against the best women's defense. I want to watch that game, too. So, yep. please, don't go in the portal. Don't commit. Don't do anything else. Stop time for a couple-hour spans here over the course of the weekend. And, and 
give us a chance to breathe and enjoy. Please. Yeah. Please. I mean, if we if if, if I was the czar of college basketball, the portal would just not open until after the national championship. But that's Agreed. neither here nor there. Agreed. There, there'd be much more effective transfer window like European soccer that wouldn't divert from the season like right. it does. Uh, yeah. I, I agree. Um, we will solve the world's problems on that on another edition of the pod. Uh, we will. Gentlemen, I thank you both. I look forward to Wednesday. Uh, we will wrap up. We'll do a season finale edition of the pod after the national title game uh, at a date to be determined. Uh, we'll do some ups and downs, some highlights, some lowlights from the season here in the state and beyond. Uh, but until that time, enjoy the games. Enjoy the final weekend of the season. Gentlemen, thank you both very much. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.